0: Hi, my name is Chris Candy and this is the Never Not Run podcast, or no,
1: <laughs> or do the NNR for
0: This is the Never Not Run podcast. I'm your host, Chris Candy.
1: And I'm Mark Nieto.
0: This is 100% episode 19.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank God you're here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh my God, Mark! um uh Welcome back, everybody, to the Never Not Run Pod. I am your host, Chris Candy. I'm Mark Nieto. And um you've already heard that like five times now. You've made it to this <laughs> part of the pod. Um,
1: Man, we are. I, I'm. I got to be honest. I'm, I'm like. I think we both just found out the news. I I just checked Instagram, and I both of us. We're sharing that art LeBeau passed away
0: yeah it's uh it's a part of life um people pass away but you know when ones that mean so much to uh you know our hearts go you know um it's sad art LeBeau, he uh he was a, a socal classic i mean but he was he was basically a broadcast classic
1: right i think for two guys like us who have a history a very brief history in radio yeah uh, Well, I'll speak for myself. My history is brief. You're still very much active, but yeah, I mean, I think anybody that does anything connected to broadcasting or media, I mean, especially in this, in this region, I mean, it was just, yeah, it's really sad. He lived a long life though. He lived to be 97 and definitely made his impact.
0: So, uh, Mark, like catch everybody up on Art LeBeau and what he did and, and, um, and and his show is always on sunday nights right uh
1: yeah move. we well, used to be every night and then uh I, i'm not sure how it was syndicated eventually it moved to just sundays in the la area but um but yeah i mean i used to listen almost every night when i'd be driving home from work or something he would play dedications that's what he was known for um he got his start it's like one of the original rock and roll DJs, uh, in the fifties. And he would have these concerts around LA and famously he, the concerts were, were like racially mixed. And so he would have them out in El Monte because at the time, uh, the city of LA would not allow interracial parties or interracial concerts. Mm-hmm. So he would have them in El Monte cause <clears> it was right outside the city limits. Um, I mean, and that was just like his early career. And then, you know, he went on to coin the term oldies, but goodies and Mm -hmm. started releasing these compilations. And as he got older, his show became famous for, he would play dedications. He would allow the listeners to call in and pre-record dedications to loved ones, to family members. And I remember when I first started listening to him, I would hear these dedications that were always going to the same places like cities that i didn't really know anything about like corcoran or delano and then i found out like oh that's because there are prisons there and so he it was a way for family members to communicate with their loved ones who were incarcerated so yeah that's exactly what it was you you'd hear these 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 uh
0: shout outs to people and it was usually maybe a girlfriend or a wife Uh, sending like um, a really beautiful love note to a loved one. And it was
1: because that person was in a correctional facility. (laughs) Yeah. You'd be hearing these very intimate dedications. Like it's literally like reading somebody's private love letters to somebody, but, but read Mm -hmm. an art's voice over the air. Sometimes he would, he would um, replay the, like I said, the pre-recorded messages. Yeah. But I mean, just amazing stuff and and yeah he lived to be 97 years old um and
0: he, yeah it, again like he was just uh he was on k day out here uh for the longest time and uh again just like a very Angelino uh type musician i th- i mean a dj when i think about it it's like we have obviously everyone knows them when you're here but art lebeau is one of them Hauser. Vin Scully, mm-hmm. these are, uh, these are guys that, um, the Mount Rushmore of LA broadcasters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that really, <laughs> That'll chac- yeah. It out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Guys who just really, uh, did a good job at like uh, connecting everybody. So onward, uh, Art LeBeau, we love you. This dedication, this episode is for you. <laughs> and actually a, a good episode because this is, you know, uh, about a relationship really. Um, and <laughs> yeah, speaking of love connection. <laughs> yeah. Mark, um, your girlfriend, your partner, uh, Tamara, she ran a half marathon up in the Bay area.
1: Yeah. So there was the Solomon women's trail half marathon uh, just across the Bay in Marin. And I got to spectate and be part of her, support crew for it even though she didn't really need me to support (laughs) her yeah i I was living out my ultra marathon crew fantasy by (laughs) (laughs) by being out there but uh yeah we got to go cheer her on and it was a really really insane race um but really cool and and she'll she gets into all the details of it too in this episode
0: that's great. Yeah, I uh, I was happy to hear about this. And I think it's great uh, that you two sat down and, and were uh, able to talk about this. I, I can't wait to hear uh,
1: what you guys get into. It turned out really well. I think it, there's definitely some funny, awkward moments. It's surprising how much easier it is to interview somebody that you don't know or have no connection to. Like when you're meeting, <laughs> you know, Bill Maeda for the first time, It's there's it, there's a lot less wait sometimes to interviewing somebody like that well mark why don't you introduce this show episode 19 of the never not run pod with tamara jamil we are here with tamara jamil and Tamara, I said, how would you like to be introduced on the podcast? And she said, introduce me as your Habibdi. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so that is what I'm introducing you as the listeners. For those that don't know, what does Habibdi mean?
2: So Habibi in Arabic means my love.
1: If you didn't pick up on it, Tamara and I are dating. Uh, This is a unique experience for me for both of us, I think. And uh, we're just, yeah, we're just gonna wing it. We're gonna see how this goes. But um, aside from being the partner of one of the hosts of the Never Not Run pod, (laughs) (laughs) you yourself are a pretty accomplished runner. And we, well, I just witnessed you finish the first ever Solomon women's trail half marathon.
0: Well,
2: just a quick correction. I don't think it's the first ever, but I do think less than five times that it's been run, and it's the first time they've done this course. So, in a sense, it is the first ever.
1: Perfect. So you're already correcting me. You're already <laughs> upstaging the host. It's perfect. Before we get into the, because we're definitely going to get into the the race. Getting to witness it too from the outside as a spectator was really awesome because I thought they just did an amazing job with the whole experience. So I, I definitely want to hear your side of it as well. But earlier in the day, we had talked about the metric system versus the imperial system. Oh, no. And so one of the questions that Chris loves to ask on the podcast is Can you remember when you ran your first mile? Now, you grew up in Lima, mm-hmm. where they use the metric, metric system. I see, I can't even say it. <laughs> metric system. So it's
2: like an allergy or something.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I thought you would have a very interesting response because maybe you could, like, your experience of running your first mile. I mean, even though you may have ran longer distances, you thought of them as kilometers. Oh, so yeah. I was wondering if you can actually pinpoint. The first time you ran a mile.
2: So not a kilometer. The first time I ran a mile. (sighs) So you're trying to turn me into the imperial system here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, because we were talking about this earlier, almost as a, a language when you are having to translate words between languages And you're having to translate distances. Like, do you inherently think of kilometers or miles?
2: I don't know. I think of them as songs. (laughs) Like lengths (laughs) of songs now. (laughs) I know that's not an answer to your question. I don't... I mean, I probably realized that I was running miles when I came for my undergrad to the U.S. Before that, it was strictly kilometers. And... I think that I started thinking about. I really did think about it in songs. It's like okay, for one, col- say, say the ten, the first time I remember the first time around ran ten k, because I trained with my dad for it, and that was a pretty big moment in my running life. It's like I'm gonna be able to do this, and. 10k, what was I don't know, back then was like an hour, a little bit under. So I was saying, okay, if I listen to around three songs for 10 minutes, then I'm gonna run 30 songs. And that's how I would do it. And so I think when I got to to Ithaca for my undergrad, I was thinking okay, miles a little bit longer. Let's do four songs. (laughs) So I think I would think of it in songs. I think I still do, even though I'm not listening to music.
1: How much, I guess, should we go into your backstory? Like, what do you want to share with the listeners about yourself?
2: Okay. So I'm in the Bay area now because I've started a PhD program at UC Berkeley. Um, I'm in the Department of Geography, specifically Human Geographies, and my aim is to continue and expand my research on jail construction across rural America, which is something that I started while we were studying together at the Centre for Research Architecture in Goldsmiths in London. So, this is advancing that research, but also taking advantage of the awesome trails that are around this area, Mm -hmm. trying to take advantage of it all. Um,
1: How much did the trail scene up here influence your decision to study at UC Berkeley?
2: I knew zero (laughs) about the trail scene. Um, I do think the sun was a huge influence at coming to Berkeley and deciding if you're going to do a PhD program. It's quite a few years of your life so might as well be in a place where you can actually go outdoors year-round so I didn't know much of the scene um and I don't know if I'm fast-tracking things that we'll touch upon later but I think we did a half marathon together in London when we were your we were, well not in London sorry it was in Kent while we were still there and that was my first trail half and I had only trained in London, which is pretty flat. So that half marathon was hard. And I think knowing that I, I signed up for the Salmon half, knowing that I was coming to Berkeley, but also knowing that I would have time to train here because I did not feel good in the first trail half that i did
1: Mm -hmm. yeah having run solely in the city yeah um yeah i mean we we lived in south london and interestingly enough i mean that was where i started to really fall back in love with running and partially it was because it was just a a nice outlet to have during the lockdown there. Both of us, I mean, we were living together. We were locked down in our apartment. And it was just like a nice way to get out and explore London, but definitely craved some of the kind of the the natural environments that we, that I at least had had access to in California. And so would like seek out parks and things like that. And so in the process of my training for a full marathon, um, which... Chris and I covered the Death Valley Marathon. Uh, I found this half marathon in Kent, which went through a castle and, like, it was a ground. Do you remember what it was? It was like the Groundsman Old Estate. And yeah, and we thought it was just going to be like a nice park run. And it ended up being (laughs) this, like, muddy slog through the woods. And there were, like, barriers. And it was, It was insane. Like we were not prepared. Like both of us had just been running up along the river, basically the river Thames.
2: Yeah. I mean, we were so badly prepared that we thought we could eat a burger the day before and that would go fine. Yeah. (laughs) The night before. So we didn't really even have time to digest it. We were also there. It was, I mean, I don't consider myself racing in any of these races. I'm just running it. But um, we were also there to have fun. We also wanted to get out of London because we had been cooped up during the whole pandemic. So I think it's not that we had put on huge pressures on ourselves, but we had been training in the city and we had separately felt good. Um, And in our together runs, we felt good. So it was definitely a letdown to not feel like we performed our best. And I remember you setting, I think you, which, you know, and it's not crazy, but I think we were like, okay, we're going to do an eight minute mile. And then right off the bat from that race, it's a climb. And I was like nine and a half or something, or even 10. And I remember you looking back at me and being like, come on, let's go. We had set this eight minute mile. And it was, I just knew that if I pushed myself to that speed, I would not finish well. Mm -hmm. And so my goal was just to finish that race through the mud. Um, Because it was like, yeah, pretty muddy. So, yeah, not the best performance. And then you had a cramp. You were doing solid time.
1: No, I was not. I mean... (laughs) I think I was also, uh, yeah. We had we had agreed that we were going to try to finish. Well, we were trying to finish them in two hours, Under I two, think. yeah. So it broke down to something like eight minute miles, and we were like, "Yeah, that's doable." And so me being full of adrenaline at the start of the race, like you said, I took off, and then I was kind of like, "Where are you? Come on, let's go." This is what we we had agreed upon, and it everything our entire all of our plans had fallen apart. But but like you said, we kind of it was a really beautiful race like getting to we hadn't really gotten out of the city that much so getting to see that part of the country was really cool yeah and and staying around there uh which like we we've talked about before is that this is one of the things that i do really like about running is just it exposes you to different places places you would have never otherwise bothered to visit or huh. had an excuse to and it gives you this kind of nice entry point into all these different little scenes and communities and cities.
2: So for my first half marathon, that was in New York. I did the shape woman's half. Um, And because that was my first half marathon, that's really the only time I've seriously trained where I've, you know, followed the guide, done all the runs felt really good, but I was training along the Hudson river and It was incredible because I worked, you know, near Tribeca Soho. I lived three blocks from my work. It was very claustrophobic in some ways, very convenient in others. But being able to have this regimen where four times a week at least I'm running and seeing kind of how the city changes block to block, you know, Even if you're staying along the river, you still see that reflected on the communities that are walking around portions of it. And also how it changes, because I know in some portion, if you get really high up, it changes into almost like semi-trail, like some parts aren't paved um, or they didn't used to be when I ran it. But that was a really amazing way for me to see New York and not have to be in the thick of it. I felt Mm -hmm. kind of seeing it almost God's eye, even though, you know, I'm not above, but I'm like looking at it from the side where you have air to breathe, where you're not surrounded by buildings and you can pretty much like run a marathon (laughs) along it if you want, like you can keep going. Um, So that was a really amazing way to, to see New York and like experience it before I moved on to a different city.
1: What initially inspired you to run that one?
2: Oh, that one? Yeah. Because I was really good at running in school. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's not something I trained for. I wasn't on the team. But every year, my school, I grew up in Lima, Peru. So shout out to Markham College, if any of (laughs) y'all ever listened to this. Um, But we would do these annual... Um, cross country runs.
1: So they. This is be, a high school, by the way. This is a high school. Yeah, even yeah. though it's called college, but. Sorry. Yeah. Yes.
2: It's the British system, down <laughs> there. We were colonized too. Um, but, anyways, basically, you do these annual cross country runs, which are long, longish runs. You know, I don't even remember how much they were, but like they can't have been more than like eight k or something like that. Um, you can translate to miles if you. So wish, but everybody should know ish. So it was it wasn't like a huge distance, but I would always be the first girl to get there, um, which was to my demise because I get really red when I run. And so some of the guys had already gotten there and they would call me Tamara Tomato. And, you know, that's OK. I rolled with it because I was there first and it felt really good. It just felt like something I was good at.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And at that time, I wasn't like I was doing ballet very intensely. So it wasn't my sport. It wasn't something I was focusing on. It just felt something I could do that my body was able to do. Um, and then afterwards, I started running more through high school. And then later on in college... I started by running and then I kind of dropped it. I went to college in Ithaca, so, you know, half of the year it's like frozen over. Although it's really beautiful and good for your knees to run in snow, <laughs> it's also not as enticing. So, anyways, by the time I was working in New York, I hadn't run for a while, and I felt like I missed it. And I felt like I wanted to get back into it, get a routine get my body back to speed of, like, feeling like it could run. Um, And I think there's, I've always liked running. I think a lot of people don't or haven't tested their body at running. And I also don't think everybody's bodies are built for running. I don't think, ancestrally, I don't think my ancestors ran. (laughs) Like, I think from my dad's side, like... They were in Syria or in Lebanon, like, cooking up some kibin, malubin, knafeh. Like, nobody was running. And my mom, Peruvian-Italian side, like, also, like, <laughs> you know, making amazing Peruvian food. I don't know. Like, I don't think I came from people who ran. So I don't think my body is built for it. And I definitely feel that in races sometimes. Like, I de- definitely feel my body, like... My torso being like, "Mm, we don't like this, but I think my mind really likes it. Mm -hmm. So then it tells my body like, hey, we're okay. Like, let's chill out and let's get into it. And I'm also highly competitive. (laughs) So there's that aspect of running. Of doing a race, too, like even if I'm not racing it, I'm also competing against myself. And then I also think, to. How my mom, when it was just like me and my brother, Omar, my youngest brother hadn't been born yet. My mom was still running. She was a runner all through college herself.
1: Well, there you go. You just. I don't know. (laughs) I think she forced
2: it too. I think we all forced it. But she ran and then she was training for a half marathon when we were living in the Bay Area when I was little. And she went on this run on her own. And at some point she fell. And she fell on her wedding finger. And so her finger started swelling up because it was broken. And nobody was around her. Basically, somebody found her, called the ambulance. They took her to the emergency room, almost had to cut off her finger because the rings would not come off. Like her finger was that swollen and they couldn't cut it off. Finally, they did. They cut off the ring and they could, you know, Mm -hmm. she was fine. She's fine now. But I think that moment was like... That moment was pretty traumatic for her. So I don't think she's been able to get back into running. Mm -hmm. It's like. The saying is when you fall from a horse, get back on, you know, and get riding again. And. It's not that she didn't want to. She also had like kids to take care of and everything. But I think the fact that my mom had been training for a half marathon and hadn't completed it made me want to also do it for her Mm -hmm. in a way saying you didn't complete it let me finish this Um, and it was magical because my mom came to see me run that race and so she was there the race was around Central Park twice and she was there and I saw her at the aid stations and just knowing that she was going to be at the end was what kept me going and I think my first half I did it two hours and two minutes and it was a road race, but it was my first half, and I was pretty proud of. I wanted under two, but I'll take two and two. Mm-hmm. And having my mom there was really important mm-hmm. for that.
1: So, I've, of the three places, let's start with like London and New York, because yeah. I know at least like in New, like in London, we'd like run on the river together, and yeah. that was a pretty amazing experience to like be in the city, like running by Big Ben and all that.
2: Yeah. Well, I think there were extreme parallels there for me because in both trainings, I was running by bodies of water and also running along fairly populated places. So there was, especially London, right? You're walking um, in front of Tate Modern and, you know, all these incredible places, but they're super packed with tourists. So especially if if you're going your long runs on the weekend, you're kind of dodging (laughs) bullets left and right because people come out of nowhere. And of course, you know, everybody has to respect each other. But in a sense, if you're running in the weekend and you haven't gotten up early enough to dodge the crowds, then you're kind of in the wrong, it feels, right? Like, you know there's going to be tourists, so then you've got to bite the bullet. But I think there was a pretty important parallel for me in having the body of water next to me as I ran as almost a meditative and pacing component to the training. Like there's this body of water, especially, you know, if you you think about the Thames, it's, the currents are incredibly strong, but you don't even see that from the surface, right? Everything looks so calm. But if you fall, it whisks you away. Like you have no idea of the power that lies underneath the currents. And so I think there was something about that that also motivated me like on days when runs were hard and I didn't feel great and my legs felt heavy I feel like I just kept pulling on the water as this symbol and source of you don't know how powerful you are underneath and it's also it's a question of energies it's a question of minds so I think that kind of kept pushing me forward even you know I think you sent me something of like you know a third of the runs you do are gonna suck a third are gonna feel like whatever and a third are gonna feel great so I think the moments that really test who you are not just your discipline but your like inner strength are those that suck And a lot of those aligned with (laughs) running in the midst of tourists in these crazy cities. Um, But I will say, I think I'm a a stronger roadrunner, but I get bored more when I'm on the road Mm. now. Like, I need music Mm -hmm. to run on the street. Like, for New York, I trained fully with music. I would prep the playlists, everything. London too, and then you started running with me, and you didn't listen to music. So when we ran together, sometimes I would test it out. And sometimes I would need to, you know, plug my headphones back in. I needed that impulse. But then for this last race, for all the training, I didn't listen to anything. And especially when I was doing the training on trail runs, it just felt... Awesome. Like there were segments of it, especially, you know, when it gets hilly and you're climbing and then you're racing down, like it feels like you're a kid again. And it's also incredible to see what your body can still do. You know, when you're a kid, you're just jumping from left to right, like basically flinging yourself off rocks, and you know you'll be fine because you trust your body to do that. Right. And I think as we become older, We're definitely more scared of our, basically, how frail our bodies can be. But then we also forget how strong they are. And so I think something that I really found joy in training for this last one, and even doing it, was seeing, wow, like my muscles respond. Right? Like, I can jump this and I'm going to get there, and I can zigzag and bounce off these different rocks. And it just feels super empowering. Like, this is, there was a moment in my childhood when I would like jump on roofs on beach houses at night with my friends. And it didn't always end well, (laughs) (laughs) as my knee well knows. But the fact that we would do that and just, be fearless. I feel like I'm regaining that with trail running. And I don't think road running does that for me.
1: And I I wish Chris was here because he would, he would have a perfect comment about running next to water because he loves running next to the Pacific ocean. Like that's his vibe is like, I think he's happiest running on the beach path with the ocean in sight. I'm the opposite. Like, get me. <laughs> I want to no be. Way. Yeah. I want to be in the mountains, you know, which I like that you brought up that Alexi Pappas quote too.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. The one. Yeah. Where I think she's quoting her coach where it's like a third, it's like a third go bad. A third are okay. And then a third are really good. And that's like the perfect ratio for any kind of endeavor. Yeah. So then tell us a little bit more then about the experience of what it's been like running up here in the Bay area. And you said now that you're getting on trails and kind of experiencing that world, like, what have you gotten out of that?
2: Yeah. So it's been two months ish or three since being here. And I'm lucky that, I'm not too far from the trails, you know, so I can just I could do it morning before hitting a, going to the class of my class or something. Um, it's been. Pretty incredible, I think one of the main things that has stood out for me. With trail running in the Bay Area, I mean, California in general is incredible, but the fact that in the bay you have all these incredible eucalyptus trees and so while you're running you get this constant smell and smell is I think it's the biggest trigger of memory Mm -hmm. um, of the senses and it kind of just brings me back to when I when we lived here for three years Um, there's something in that phase of my life where that smell really stuck with me Um, so that's been one of the, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like a magical experience to go on the trail and then you just get that whiff of eucalyptus and it kind of brings you back and gives you more energy than a gel could, you know, (laughs) it's just like the, the fact that it brings back memories, it brings back so many things that emotionally recharge you, um, So that's been really nice. I think also if, you know, the trail running scene here is huge. Like people come here to train for a lot of, you know, many trail races across the U.S., if not across the world. And it's such a great community. It really does seem that there is a ton of different groups, kinds of people that love to trail run. Love to come together and push themselves together to see what's possible, but also not. And if some days it doesn't work, people are just like, take it at your own stride. Um, So there's been a few groups that, you know, we did. I think we, you know, we went to Renegade Running one day Mm -hmm. and did a like a warm up workout with them and that was pretty great. They do a few runs um weekly. I haven't joined, but I've done that workout on the Wednesdays and it's been pretty great. Um also there's Trail Sisters. I know there's a Marin Bay, East Bay, um, and they're really great. It's a, you know, it's a woman only group. And I think that also serves to I like the fact that solo running is kind of, can be scary. I think I haven't heard anything to the contrary. I think everybody thinks, I think this area is safe, right? I think you can trail run on your own and everything. But some women, and myself included, I feel more comfort if I'm running in a group. Um... I also feel like if I don't have enough water, somebody's got my back. Not that anybody should plan around that, but it does happen, right? Where you're running for longer than you thought you would, or you get a bit lost on the trails and you're slightly dehydrated, and that can be a very scary scenario. So I think the reality of trail running here can be so freeing, but also you should be prepared no matter where you go. Um... And, you know, I haven't even been running for that long. I'm just trained for that half marathon. A lot of people here are training for ultras. So
1: I don't know about a lot, but yeah. the- <laughs> <laughs>
2: there's quite a few, especially like near Mount Tam. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's a lot of people around there that are doing, you know, a, a half marathon every weekend to train.
1: Yeah, when you go to the Marin side, it definitely feels like a outdoor... It's like you're walking into the REI come to life. Everybody's yeah. got their mountain bikes on the back of their Teslas or Subarus and <laughs> their Patagonia vests and their like trail runners on. It's very... Yeah, it seems very active over there.
2: Yeah, extremely so. In a way that's inspiring, but also... Is not realistic for a lot of people because they don't have that amount of
1: time to... Or access to that kind of stuff. Yeah.
2: Exactly. A lot of people don't have cars, you know, and you can't really get to that area on the BART because the BART doesn't go to Marin because they voted against it. So there's a lot of kind of issues, but the fact that Mount Tam exists, there is... It's at least worth a visit once if you live in mm-hmm. the Bay. So we did um, we did a warm-up trail run together, right? With, with
1: SF Runco.
2: SF Runco, yeah.
1: San Francisco Running Company.
2: So they were... I think they partnered with Salman for the half that I was training for. So that's why they offered some training runs. And that was... Like... <laughs> I kicked my ass because <laughs> the climb, the tra- the what was it? Nine miles, I think. The training, the
1: training run? run we did, yeah,
2: yeah. But there was that climb of Mount Tam, which was what a thousand feet. Yeah, but I don't think I had expected the steepness.
1: Yeah, it was like a thousand feet over like half a mile or something. Yeah, just straight up.
2: Just straight up. It was pretty crazy. I think that's what I was nervous about in the race because I thought I was going to have to climb that again. And not that you can't do it. You just have to pace yourself, Mm -hmm. right? But it was, yeah, that training run was really interesting. But then after you got up and, you know, you're in the thick of the fog because by that time it's rolled over the top of the mountain. But then you're dashing down, like, that downward hill after that climb was amazing, right? Like, it felt really great to finish that run. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, you fin- the training finished quite flat. But for a moment there, you're going downhill for a couple, two or three miles mm-hmm. or something. And
1: it's... Yeah, you can just open up and cruise yeah, down.
2: Yeah. So that's something I was pretty nervous about because I thought... The actual race was going to be very similar to that training run
0: mm-hmm.
2: and it it wasn't. I should have just you know looked on Strava and seen what was planned for for the race, but the race actually started at Rodeo Beach, and then you you go up, so yeah, you do start on a climb, but it's not that same it's It's a pretty big climb, but over two two and a half three miles so it's not as steep it's really hard like the at the start of the race one of the coordinators for it said you know i'm not gonna lie the first five miles of this race suck like it's gonna be hard um but then They said, then you'll be cruising, which I thought was (laughs) hilarious because I definitely was not cruising (laughs) like there was another hill at mile five, I think, until mile eight. So I don't know what kind of cruising they were doing, but I definitely did not feel that Um, it was a very challenging race in several aspects take us
1: no no this is perfect because yeah yeah, this is what i wanted to get into next was to have you take us through the the play-by-play of the race so start with the beginning the the morning of the race tell us about that like how did you prep for it what was your nutrition plan for it like what was your what were you thinking going into it
2: yeah um the week before the race had been pretty chaotic (laughs) for (laughs) many reasons um But I had, you know, I had family in town. My mom, again, my lucky charm stayed for the race. But the fact that I'd had family in town just made it harder for me to also follow any kind of nutrition plan. The only thing I did do was, you know, have a good simple pasta the night before Mm -hmm. the race. Uh, Carbo load, as they may say. Um, and then the morning of, I woke up pretty early, woke up around four 30, I guess that's not early for runners, but it's early for normal people. Um, and then I started with, God, I don't even know how to pronounce them.
1: Martin, Morton, Morton, Morton. Yeah.
2: Um, so you had introduced the Morton gels to me. And I'd done them on one or two of my long runs and I quite liked them. So it's like, okay, I'm going to do their hydration mix, their caffeine hydration mix. And they say to do that three hours before your race. So I had to drink that at five, which I did. And, you know, I always have steel cut oats for breakfast. So I was like, I'm not changing now. Mm -hmm. It feels like the perfect breakfast anyways. I did not add flax, which I usually
1: do. <laughs> Why didn't you add flax?
2: Because I'd been reading online and they were like, avoid any like fiber foods. Yeah. It's not good for when you're racing. Um, so I just did steel cut oats, honey, almond milk, and some strawberries, I think. So I did that two hours before the race um, and was feeling pretty good. I was drinking water. Um, I was more nervous because because of you guys, I think like you and my mom were were here, and I didn't wanna I felt bad that I was making you both wake up so early on a Saturday and drive so far, so um, but I was just excited. I think I went into it knowing that I wasn't racing, that I was really just trying to finish, and that it was just going to be like a really nice day. The weather seemed like it was going to be perfect. And I just really wanted to enjoy it. So when we got to the starting point, you know, it's it's a women's only race. So everybody's there and like they're running crews. And that's something that also really got me excited because, you know, having just moved... I'm still trying to figure out my sense of community here. And it felt like an opportunity to find that during the race. I feel like if you're not racing to compete, you're running it and you're going to probably find solidarity in Mm -hmm. some of those hard uphills, which was the case for me, which was really nice. Um, But anyways, you know, collected my bib, everything, everything. Did some stretches. I did um, Peloton stretch. Shout out to Matt Wilpers for that (laughs) five minute pre-run stretch. Shout out to Mark for holding my phone (laughs) while I was stretching it out. I just felt like I had to do the ritual. Like I had to go through these steps in order to not freak out.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly.
2: So I just had to. Do the checklist, you know, mm-hmm. and to be honest, I didn't really train that well for this race, if at all. I didn't ever do a thirteen mile run before it for in the during this training plan.
1: I think what was the longest you did?
2: The longest I did was probably that nine mile
1: that that's still did. a good amount though
2: it was still a good amount, but that was what like two months before the race
1: mm-hmm.
2: so. And then I was doing like six miles for my long runs, one because I didn't have time. I was I'm I've been pretty stressed with the start of this uh, program. But that being said, I just needed to go through the motions mm-hmm. of like gathering myself. Um, and then I saw, so I started following a bunch of running communities out here, and there was this woman. Shout out to Ayako, um, who I started following on Instagram. And she's a pretty inspiring runner out here in the Bay. Um, And I recognized her uh, near the starting line. I was kind of having like a fangirl moment of like, oh, I'm going to run with this person that has been serving as a big source of inspiration for me while running out here. So I was pretty near her in the starting line. We would meet later and it would be great, but I just felt excited and nervous and probably in the wrong because I was the only person wearing a long sleeve shirt. (laughs) So anyways, it was pretty chilly when we started, but the whole, as I mentioned before, the start was you're climbing up from Rodeo Beach, which is sea level, and then you're going up Mount Tam. And you're going up for a solid thousand feet over the course of three miles at the start of the race. So you still have energy and you're running slash jogging it. But you also know that energy is going to plummet if you don't pace yourself. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of that. And then once you survive the first climb, which was pretty crazy you meet that so that climb we did during our training run was now my downhill my first downhill which was harder than climbing it Mm -hmm. because you really have to pace yourself and also just look at the ground if not you're gonna slide down mount ham completely so that descent was pretty brutal I had been i had packed my poles. I think I was the only person to bring poles to the race. I didn't use them (laughs) as a source (laughs) of pride when I started the climb. And I didn't even use them in descent, but that's where I would have used them or I should have used them. I think it would have given me more stability. But anyways, during that time you know i met a few people somebody called me out for wearing a long sleeve shirt not in the wrong way just like hey i don't know who you are but are you dying like <laughs> are you do you need me to hold your pack and i was like no i'm good um but then we started speaking for a little bit and she mentioned she was part of a running crew called arete that's in the east bay i think so also you know, a huge running crew I yeah saw, they had
1: a lot of people. They had there. a lot of
2: people, so they were really awesome, I think, um very big source of motivation. and um yeah, and then you you get to a semi flatish zone after that downhill for like a mile and a half. And that's where I met some someone else. Her name was Anna and she was really great. You know, we were holding pace for a while, which also feels amazing when you don't know anyone and somebody's like, yeah, let's run this pace. Let's keep each other company for this next mile or so. Um, so she was really, really nice. And then when we got to mile five, when it was supposed to get easier. We started another climb. And that climb was another... Basically, the total elevation game for this race was almost 3,000 feet. It was like 2,800 feet. So at mile five, you're climbing another...
1: Yeah, another big uphill. Another
2: big, big uphill. And at that point, also, you're just like, I'm going to hike it, right? So that's also part of the... You know, the difficulty of trail running, I think with road racing, you get to zone out and just go at a pace and you're going to keep that pace and then you're going to finish your run. And trail running is not like that. You really oftentimes, especially if you haven't done the trail before, you're surprised at what you're going to encounter on the next bend. And that might mean you hike. That might mean you hike for three miles, four miles, whatever it may be. And then you meet a downhill and then you can, as you say, let loose. So I think that's also what keeps you on your toes, right? I think that's why I enjoy and don't get bored trail running. Mm -hmm. But I think that's also the challenging part because you can't zone out, really. You have to be attentive to what your body needs. So anyways. Long story short is you do this other insane climb, which you're you're walking, you're hiking. You're not walking, you're hiking it. So it's at a pace. You meet people and you wish you were at the fitness <laughs> where you could <laughs> run up these next three miles for another thousand something foot climb. And yeah, you just keep going. You just keep pushing at it. I think what was really challenging for me was i definitely was getting blisters at the back of my feet because of the climb my feet were pushing back on my shoes hmm. and you know that friction was creating and i was like that was a challenging part for me was over or blocking out that pain being like i can't deal with this right now
1: so do you want to say which shoes they were or do you want to keep <laughs> <laughs> you want to say that i
2: don't i don't want to blame the shoes because i think they're awesome awesome shoes so they're the Norda satisfy collab that they released like three months ago yeah it's like a mint green shoe they're beautiful they're super light they're awesome i just think that either i didn't break them in sufficiently or they might not suit my foot mm-hmm. and i've been told that before like when i did the first half I did in New York. Somebody was like, Brooks is your shoe. Brooks is the shoe. Really? Yeah, they were like, that's the shoe for the kind of foot you have. That's what you need so you avoid overpronation of your feet. Like so many details were built into why that shoe fits me. But I'm like, aesthetically, (laughs) (laughs) it does not (laughs) fit me. (laughs) So I think Norda... Does, is not for my kind of foot, unfortunately, but I'm, I'm still going to give it another shot. See if I can break them in further.
1: Yeah. Cause you had only done a couple runs right before the race.
2: Yeah. I think I'd done like two, six miles on those shoes and then the race. Yeah. Which maybe wasn't smart. So I could test it out. Um,
1: well, so then you get to the top of the second hill. Or the second climb brother. What is I mean, what are you seeing then? What's the do you have views? I mean it's
2: incredible. That's the thing, is like I can't even describe how beautiful this race is because you're look you're on top of Mount Tam, looking to basically Mount Tam, if nobody who's listening knows what that is you're you're in San Francisco and you cross the Golden Gate Bridge to get into Marin County and while you're on the bridge you're kind of facing this huge peak this huge mountain and that's Mount Tam and so basically once you reach that second hill you're on top of Mount Tam looking over the bay you're looking directly at the Golden Gate Bridge at San Francisco At the East Bay, you know, you're, you're just, it's an insane, not to plug geography into this, but like, (laughs) it's an insane moment of God's eye view in your life where you're able to see this incredible ecosystem um, that man has created, but also... Just how beautiful and complex the waterways that compose this bay are. So it's an incredible, it was an incredible moment to get up there and see that. Be like, I'm here now. I live here. This is, it's, it's a luxury in so many ways, right? Not only because of issues of accessibility, a lot of people can't reach it, but Also, a lot of people physically can't do this. And that's what keeps you going because you say, I get to do this. It's not right that you can or can't do it, but also that you get to. It's like an opportunity. So anyways, you get off on that second hill. (laughs) And just to say that every there were two aid stations and my mom and Mark were there at each. And I don't know if you want to describe how you thought I looked, if I was like exhausted and.
1: Honestly, I, I'm hesitant because you definitely downplayed your fitness level going into this. I think, and even throughout this podcast, I think you've been downplaying your fitness because even though you didn't necessarily maybe follow the strictest, you know, training plan, you're still saying like, Oh yeah, I just did a nine mile run. or I just did a few six milers and this and that. And you're like, you're dropping like, these are not small amounts to most people, you know, even to people that like do are like daily joggers. I mean, nobody's throwing down, you know, hour long trail runs like that. So I was very nervous for you. Um <laughs> And, like the first access point where we could see you, I thought it was like 50, 50 in terms of like you She's being, Robinette. yeah. Like you just being like, I'm over this, like get, get put me in the car. Like, <laughs> let's go. Like, I don't, I'm over this. Um, but you looked amazing. You were just like in, your spirit was great. You were like cruising and yeah, I mean, you were just, and, and also too, it was amazing as you, like I had packed all kinds. I, it was like I was your crew for like an ultra marathon. I had like <laughs> creams and all kinds of food and like different layers and change of socks. And I had all this stuff. And I was like, I have everything. Like, what do you need? What do you need? And you're like, no, I'm fine. I'm good. <laughs> and you just like kept on running. <laughs> like you didn't even want a hat. And the, it was like the sun was beating down. And you're like, I'm good. I think I just took your polls. That was the only yeah, thing. Yeah, you did. So after that I was like, okay, she's gonna finish. Like no problem. Yeah. Like she'll do it for sure. And and like you said, we met up with you at the next access point, which was at one of like the Golden Gate views. Viewpoints. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was beautiful. Like even for us as spectators, just being there, like you said, we got we got some amazing shots of just the bay and golden gate. And and again, like I just to be able to spectate something like that like a race it's it's very inspiring like just to see all the people coming through and and yeah and it was just really funny too to hear people be like thank you for being here and I'm like, like <laughs> I'm just here because my girlfriend's racing <laughs> like, but um cuz yeah your mom and I were trying to cheer on the other runners but once we saw you we were like okay we got to get to the finish line yeah to to watch you run it in
2: Well, I really appreciate, I think also you guys being there, there was no option for me to drop out.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I was like, I'm going to finish. I think after mile one, especially because we started with that climb, I thought I was done. But that's when mentally you just, you go into that pain cave and you're like, I'm going to continue. And I think that's also been a strategy for me throughout my running life has been so I used to measure my runs in number of songs like I wouldn't measure it on the time or the distance I would say I'm gonna run for eight songs and that's how I would measure my runs so I think I've gotten used to also counting down okay I've got four more songs to go Mm -hmm. And then having that and be like, okay, I've only got two more songs to go, like always working in halves. So my goal was if I make it to six miles, which is almost half, I'm good. Like I can survive it. So I think I was just working my way until six. And then when I got to six, I was like, I'll feel really good when I'm at nine. Because then I'm like 75 percent done. And then when I was at nine, I was like, I'll feel really, really good when I'm at 11 (laughs) (laughs) because then it's two miles. I can do that. Anybody can do that. We can do two miles. And that at 11, I was like, I'll feel really great when we're at 12 (laughs) (laughs) because then I'm almost there. So I think for me, it was also a constant. Just one foot in front of the other, you know, just keep going. And I wasn't going fast. But I was going and, you know, I didn't feel awful. I think I did start cramping at some point, like a side body cramp. But I had learned from the Shape Woman's half that if you're getting a side body cramp, what you want to do while you're running is you want to press, like pinch your side body, like pinch your rib wherever you're getting that side cramp. And just hold it pinched hard for, keep running, just hold it pinched hard for a while. And then release it and see if that cramp's still there, if it's still there. Pinch hard again, keep going. And then release it, test it, and you might see that it's gone. So that was my strategy. I think I was pinching probably for like half a mile to a mile for that cramp. Wow. And then it went away. So I think there's also ways to, for professionals to tell you how to work with your body when it's not working with you. Um, so anyways, that was tough. And I think the cramp came back at the end. Uh, I think the end was not a smooth downhill because it was a zigzag, you know, it was like you thought you were going down for the rest of it and then you would go up again when you really didn't think you could go up any longer. But it was beautiful. Like it was. It's an incredible trail. And then. I have many <laughs> qualms. <laughs> about how they decided. To finish this race.
1: This was almost evil. What this they was.
2: Did. It was not almost. It was completely evil. One. Because it goes over the half marathon distance (laughs) you think you're done because your watch tells you the distance and you're not done it goes like half a mile over and two they run you over the sand for the last half mile of the race you're in this and it's not you know by the water where the sand is flat and hard it's it's the sandy sand. It's that <laughs> sand that you don't even want to walk on when you're going to a beach day. So imagine just like having ran, I think it was 13.68 miles, and you're so done because you thought you were done half a mile ago. And they're like, no, now you gotta run this half mile across the sand. So it's really brutal. I started walking it when I got to the sand because I was so pissed. Yeah. (laughs) I was so mad.
1: Yeah, your mom and I were waiting for you, and we saw a few people take their shoes off and just go barefoot.
2: That's the way to do it.
1: They were probably over it like you were. And and yeah, it was funny to see you coming down the hill and then hit the sand, and you could just see it even from (laughs) like 200 yards away just your posture and everything was just saying fuck this
2: (laughs) I was so mad I was so mad and I knew you guys were there and so I was like I know I have to run at the end which I did
1: yeah you you finished strong
2: I finished strong I mean not super strong because they called me Molly (laughs) maybe Mark will have an audio of that to slip in here
0: next runner coming through she's almost there she's smiling she can taste that finish line celebration great job molly
2: so yeah i guess my name got changed that day but survived another half
1: Well, you not just survived, but I think you did really well. You finished literally right in the middle of the pack, which that's usually where I am in my races. And I'm, I'm always happy to be there. I think it's, I don't have too many fantasies of being a front of the pack runner, but it's like you said, I mean, it's just about the experience and like being out there, like being part of that community and finishing strong and like feeling good about yourself after.
2: No, absolutely. I think the most amazing part of it was at the end of the race, talking to other people who had ran, as I mentioned, um, there's someone who I started following on Instagram and then I saw her at the race and I was super excited. And then I think you took her photo and somehow you led her to the booth. I was trying on those salmon massage gloves but for your legs <laughs> like they warm and massage your legs just to get the blood flowing properly again but she came over and we spoke and she gave me a ton of like recommendations but she said something to what you were saying to the effect of what you were saying before which she was like i'm a middle of the pack runner but a solid runner like i'll mm-hmm. show up to the events but i'm not you know trying to race it to win it I'm just running it to run. Um, And I think she had a 10K the next day.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So
2: I think she does show up. And I think that was really inspiring just to see somebody who is truly in it for the aspect of community um, and just for enjoyment and not letting competitive stress dig into that. So yeah, it was great.
1: What did you think about the event being a women's race? Because there was also some really unique aspects to it with regard to making it very welcoming for women.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, the majority of the fee, if not all the fee for like the entry fee, went towards childcare. So they had, you could sign up and they had included childcare. And, you know, your your kids were there at the end of the race. And what an incredible but also should not be incredible. It should be standard and a vital part of running because it's not. When we're talking about accessibility, it's a lot of the time. It's much harder for women to go and get in the time to run if they have kids, if they have a family, there is also a like lactation station. So, you know, people with younger kids, babies, I like it. I'm not, I like running in co-ed groups and everything, but there is a sense of running amongst women that feels super empowering. And it, of course, there's people, you know, everybody's, competitive to a certain degree, but it also just feels like people are really in it for the community. And I'm sure there's male co-ed non-binary groups that do that. But being a woman myself, I feel like I really I really appreciate that. It just feels like a sisterhood in a way. Where you know everybody's got your back. Like nobody's going to leave you behind. And I think that's something that... Um, I forget the exact term for it. But Trail Sisters runs this way. Where it's... They, the large premise of it is like no one will get left behind. So no matter how slow or if you're walking, like people will be there to... You're not going to get dropped off. I mm-hmm. think it's called the no drop off runs. Mm-hmm. So it's a type of run where like nobody drops off, there's always gonna be community to get you to where you need to go or to get you to the finish line if you need some support.
1: Oh, that's great. I think it's getting to view it and spectate it, it was very noticeable. Like the the difference and and also too, just in the race leadership, the race organization, I think it was all women that were directing it. And so it just, yeah, it had it definitely had a different vibe from Like, I'm sure there was competition out there. Like, there was obviously some very fast runners that day, but it definitely didn't feel like, uh, yeah, like any other kind of race I had seen before.
2: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's really special.
1: For our final question, what is your runner's high?
2: My runner's high, I think... It's that feeling after you've completed a race you're training for. It's just that feeling when you, for example, in this last race, just fall into the sand afterwards. Right? Like you see, you cross the finish line, you get the medal, and then you can just sit in the sand and stretch and just feel how your body but also acknowledging that your body can and has done that insane thing that we're probably biologically not meant to do and will pay for (laughs) later (laughs) on in our lives. So just a plug to take care of your knees. But um, in all seriousness, that feeling of having completed this feat and acknowledging how powerful you are. That's my runner's eye.
1: Thank you for sitting down and talking with me.
2: Thank you for having me. It's
1: been my pleasure. All mine. (laughs) (laughs) That's been episode 19 of the Never Not Run podcast. I'm Mark Nieto.
2: Tomorrow Jamil.
1: Take care, everybody.